Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, Henry and Ryan go more in-depth with advanced post-processing, including layers, masking, HDR, dodging and burning, composites, HSL, focus tagging, and presets. They talk about the importance of carving your own niche and your editing style, and the difference between creative editing and also realistic editing. Welcome back to episode 38 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. And today we're kind of doing a part two of last week's episode because we, we talked so much about it. Yeah, so we, we decided because we hit the hour mark of the last episode about post-processing and editing, basically everything about that. Um, we're going to divvy it up here and do a second episode just talking more in depth about um, maybe some more specialized processes we may use while editing our photos. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's really so much you can do and we really couldn't cover it all in an hour and today we're going to kind of just dive into the really advanced ones like we're both not like extreme post-processors but we do definitely do those small adjustments that end up making a big difference yeah definitely yeah these are when we say advanced we just mean it's more like technical um these are more like i don't know if you call it niche but just like styles of editing or tools you may use that you know they're only the more professionals i guess abuse or just people that are more advanced hobbyists yeah it's most of these techniques are very like detail focused so they won't like affect the entire scene but like kind of focus on one area of the image um and it's it's really is what all the professionals and just uh, advanced hobbyists use um to get some of the pictures they do yeah, or specialized software. So we're just okay. going to kind of run through a list here um, in no particular order, just talk about our experiences with them and um, what we think would be like the best applications of them are. Yeah. All right. So the first one we got on the list here is layers. So I'll let you start, Ryan. What is your experience with layers? Uh, okay. So layers, um, I don't, I don't really use them too much i guess but um like the layers which we can talk about a little bit with uh, hdr photography i do use layers in that sense or kind of like brackets and such but um layers to me is like um, kind of similar to like masking which we'll talk about as well um here in a moment but um it's just where you kind of compile uh parts of the image together or maybe you want to edit a certain part of the image so you select that portion of the image depending on what software you use of course and you make that like the predefined point to edit from um, or you can even do like a double exposure and have more than one image um, kind of like superimposed on each other. And that can be considered two separate layers. Um, but honestly, like I don't use it too much for my like photo photos, but like when it comes to it's kind of random, but like with a video thumb, thumbnails is that I will use uh, layers to kind of just put text and just apply different effects that way. But um, for my actual photos, I don't really use it too much, honestly. Yeah, so I for thumbnails, that's probably like, all of your thumbnails pretty much would involve a layer. Mm -hmm. uh, and the layers, like, people think it's very advanced, but it's, it's you're just really adding another uh, kind of image to your image, basically. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you adjust that layer, uh, it won't affect the rest of the image, really. Um, the only yeah. place... It's like yeah. 
it's like it's like a segment of the photo or like a completely different photo mm -hmm. combined with another one so. yeah you could duplicate the photo or you could just put a blank layer like the little pixels and then you can put whatever you want on the pixels uh, i'm thinking mm -hmm. in photoshop it terms here but uh the way layers work in there um is you can add like a a layer mask so you could have like a black layer whatever you paint with white will come through the image and whatever stays black will not come through so yeah definitely yeah and it, it's kind of neat because the most software will when upon image export will just flatten the layers as they say and just make it one image like it should be uh, but yeah while you're working in the middle of it it's it can be kind of like a hot mess if you don't keep it organized oh, um, yeah. and most software yeah, most software allows you to like rename the layers. So if you have like what you're saying, like the blacks or the whites or just anything in between, you know, if you want to just have one part of the image be um, controlled for highlights and I don't know, it's it's really the sky's the limit with this, with, of course, if it's editing. Mm -hmm. And you really have to be really careful too with the multiple layers. Uh, you want to make sure you're actually selecting the right layer to make an adjustment. Like, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to affect the wrong area of the image or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, always look to the probably on the right of the software you use, but like, yeah, just to make sure everything's compiled right. And everything in terms of transparency is leveled right, because you can drag these layers to the highest like importance or to be at like the forefront of your uh, editing style in your process. Yeah, I'm really like, I'm really not a big layer guy. Um, the only thing I use layers for is so I'll do sometimes I'll do like some of the removal, like if there's like, twigs or like something I don't want in my image. Usually I like what Lightroom does, but sometimes I take it into Photoshop because it's a lot more precise. Um, and then Photoshop, I'll actually duplicate my image, like put the layer above the layer so it's the same image. And I'll make the cleanup adjustments on that duplicate. So I still have the original image to go back to if I really mess up the image. Because you know sometimes um, when you're doing that like removal, sometimes it can just look really bad. And you know, occasionally your revert undo button doesn't always work if it's been too long or something. Uh, so it's good to have that extra layer if you're doing really precise like cleaning in that area. Yeah, it's interesting with layers just because you can kind of switch them on and off as you're working with them, just to see like before and after, or maybe your just entire process along the way. But um, like you said, yeah, I, I feel like it's really important when you do work with them to be very precise and careful. Like make sure you do duplicate your layers especially like your base layer if it's just like the image itself um just in case you may screw something up and you can't undo it mm -hmm. yeah for sure you, you get definitely got to be really careful but um layers really can help with that yeah they're, they're a great part of photography i think um like i said i'm not like neither of us are really like the biggest photo editors but i mean of course we do edit our raw files um, but layers are a neat thing to work with especially in, like adobe photoshop uh-huh yeah, there there was a while when I went through like I'm I'm gonna call it my Nick like Nick Page phase. So I uh, I bought this course and whatnot, and I uh, I really did a lot of layer adjustments. Like for a good solid few months, I did every landscape image I took. I was going into Photoshop, making like five different layers on top of it. And as much as I liked it, I didn't like. I mean, I the images were maybe slightly better, but I didn't find the time worth it for all those layers. Um, I just spent like hours on one image and that's just not where I want to be. I want to be out in the field, not working on layers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I agree with you or it's like, I just don't want to spend all those hours in front of the computer. Like I already do. I mean, you know, to spend twice as much even, for example, 
yeah, this is too much. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely put those days behind me, and my images are a lot simpler now. So. <laughs> yeah, you found your own unique style, of course. Uh-huh. Yep. Awesome. Um, so um, next one would be masks, which um, kind of go hand hand really with layers. But um, do you use masks a lot? Well, I I use it's I guess it's not really it's kind of a mask. I'm not I don't like do the thing. I know in Photoshop you can mask where you like paint or you put a line around the thing you want to mask. Um, I mostly just do the masking stuff in Lightroom. So you can just drag a little, uh, like a ball, and spread it around whatever area you want uh, and make an adjustment either inside or outside of that area. Yeah, so that masking okay. system in Lightroom really works well for me. Um, I either use that or a brush, which I, I guess could also be considered masking. Um, and that brush I can kind of uh, put on any area of the image and make a sharpness, color, light, shadow, you know, just anything on that particular area that I paint over. Um, and that's precise enough for me. I know, like I mentioned, Photoshop has like the pen tool where you can really just go in and draw over what you want. Uh, but once again, it's the time factor for me, and I, I like Lightroom and how it works for me. And I'd say the masking side of things, I probably use that on almost all my like serious images. Um, I'm finding actually, um, I actually use the masking more for wildlife now than I do for landscapes. Uh, just because I like to, you know, like maybe just sharpen the bird um, and not sharpen the ugly stuff in the background. Uh, and then, or maybe just do a exposure adjustment on the bird or sharpness or, you know, just maybe add a little bit of highlight to the eye or something, you know, just something like that. Uh, so I found that really useful. That's really neat. Um, I honestly have not given that much thought um, pertaining to the wildlife part where you just like sharpen the, you know, part of the image. I just, I'm so lazy about it, I guess. Cause I'll just like sharpen the whole image and I didn't even really like consider that necessarily. So that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, like if, you know, we don't have the pro like 600 F4 lenses, so everything doesn't get like blurred out, you know? So there are sometimes messy elements in your image and I find by turning down that sharpening, it just helps a little bit more to create that separation. Right. And it's like not every image, at least I would say in my case, is like going to be a super clean image of a bird or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes makes sense. Yeah. Uh, also helps for uh, low light photography as well. Like if you're high ISO, um, you know, you can apply that noise reduction to all of your image, but then just go in and sharpen the bird so you don't have weird like remnants of noise uh, in the rest of the image. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, especially when you do need to retain that light detail, you know, at night, of course. So it's nice that you can get the brush strokes going in, uh, make it kind of painterly, I think, and however you want it. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, masks, um, it wasn't actually until recently, like this earlier this year, I started using them. Um, it was, so this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was in this uh, group called F5 Collab on um, Instagram. So it was all local um, Ohio photographers, and we all... Uh, basically, once a week, would edit someone's raw file, one of the five of us, and uh, it was it's a lot of fun. I was only in there for about a month or two, I think, um, then I left. Um, but I did this one image, or wait, it was someone else's image of like some woodland, um, kind of like an early spring day. Had beautiful, like pink, I think it's like purple, sorry, purple and yellow flowers, and this winding S curve of like a trail, um, just going right through it. And it's something 
Sunrise Light, I believe, and really stunning image overall. But um, I was really trying to think outside the box because my edits for that, um, this collab was just kind of just being by the numbers. And I was like, maybe I should try out something more daring or experimental. Um, so I basically did this uh, double exposure. I superimposed um, one of my images taken earlier this year. Um, it's called the Alpha Mill, uh, which is an old seeding grain mill that's um, near where I live. And I just basically plastered that together. And I did this as separate masks, of course, these two images. And then I did some brush strokes in um, erased parts of the image. And I made it so that way the grassy, like uh, just growth, I guess, in the woodland image looked like it was coming out of the mill. And it had this like urban decay kind of look to it. I thought it was really neat. Um, and that was, so that was like a really daring edit that I've never tried to, uh, try, you know, really just doing it before. So um, that's pretty much the most recent example I have and probably the only example so far. Um, but it, it opened up some creative possibilities, I think, with um, trying out masking, you know, just as a fun little creative experiment pretty much. I mean, that, yeah, that's amazing. I never even thought about doing something like that, kind of combining two completely different photos, urban and uh, nature into one. Great idea. Yeah, it's like this mill, it's like all steel, you know, it's a shiny structure, but it has a lot of rust on it. So, you know, just worn from the elements, of course, but um, nothing of like confines or anything grown off of it. So this is kind of like a neat little experiment, I guess. And um, yeah, it was, it was really fun just taking the mouse, the, the computer mouse and just dragging along, brushing, uh, like almost like a painter really, and just erasing what I don't like and keeping the sky and everything. So I had this really nice hazy look to it by the end of it. Um, and it had a nice subtle quality to it with all these green uh, flowers and just plant life, you know, bursting out of the mill. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a fun thing to do and um, definitely something I want to try again in the future. Yeah. Have you ever considered trying that with like a wildlife? Uh, I don't know how that would look, but like maybe putting the building inside of a bird or something. Like, <laughs> Poking its head out of the door or something. <laughs> yeah. um, that's a good point. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe. It's, that's an idea I may try too. Um, like I said, I haven't tried it since then, but um, just because I usually edit things straight on. I need to be more creative, I think, with them and try some more wacky, you know, over-the-top effects every now and then. And obviously, you, um, you would probably never put that in, like, your main portfolio, but it's great to just experiment. Yeah, it is a neat little experiment. Of course, I posted it on I know my Instagram feed when we all did our, you know, sharing of the image and all of our edits. Um, and it's funny because a few people actually thought it was like a mistake that was included because you get this, you know, carousel of like five images and one of them looks completely different. And it's like, um, I like this one, but what's up with that one? Because <laughs> it just does not look like it should be included. I'm like, yeah, I mean, look for look a little bit closer and you can see where there's remnants of the original in there. Um, so, yeah. It's just trying something different and giving people a different reaction, I guess, out of it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a collab, so you had some room to kind of experiment a bit more. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I I know for sure uh, you definitely stood out from the rest, so it's good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. What can I say? I try. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much the most of masking. Um, but it, it's a fun tool. I will say it's probably one of the more advanced ones on this list because it's very per like controlled and precise and you have to pretty much know what you're doing, um, especially if you want to make a realistic effect. Um, what I did was more kind of dreamy, I guess, ethereal, something that felt more like a composite, but not that it was a composite technically. Maybe it kind of was, but, you know, his masking was the tool I used to make this, achieve this vision or just make it a reality, I guess. Yeah. And uh, 
I'm, you did a, I'm looking at the shot now. You did a great job on your edits too. Um, cause, or yeah. I, sorry, I meant edges. Um, cause I know sometimes when you're trying to like add something into a specific area, uh, you can end up with like a halo cause it's kind of that line. So you did a really good job of mm -hmm. making that natural transition. Okay. Right, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for first time trying masking, it's, it was, um, not like daunting, but yeah, it was kind of like, I just threw the images together and I probably spent no more than five, 10 minutes on it. And, um, yeah, just erasing parts I'd liked more of, um, increasing the opacity on the original raw file and then, you know, decreasing my own or vice versa. Um, so it was a fun thing to toy with. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Did you use like a specific software for that? Like a automatic or did you do it all manually? Um, it, it was manual, I, I guess you consider it manual. I mean, I just had the original, um, the other photographer's raw file, and then I just added an extra layer, like you mentioned, um, and then threw on my image. And uh, prepares from there, just made some layer masks, and uh, I think I did one for, yeah, just make, basically using uh, brush strokes and just clearing out what I didn't like. And um, yeah, like I said, opacity and just seeing what, looked good i guess <laughs> as much as you can with it um but it was a neat thing that i just you know had this idea of and you know i really like the results or the idea of it at least yeah i mean it's keep doing it it's a great idea for sure <laughs> yeah so uh the next one uh would be high dynamic range which is also known as hdr um i do tons of this actually um but it, it's a varying degrees of how people feel about it because i i used to shirk the idea of it because i was only looking at like the over top um, hdr which has its place sometimes i will say but not exactly what i'm after but um, do you use hdr a lot Henry? no so i can probably count on one hand the amount of times i've used hdr um not, <laughs> i'm not like anti-hdr i just i like i don't know like i actually use it so the most recent example i shot tunnel view in yosemite and I always try to get into one exposure. Like I'm, I'm always that guy who looks at the histogram, tries to push the highlights as far as you can go on the right, um, without you know ruining the shadows um, and getting kind of that perfect exposure. So you have something to work with in post processing. Uh, but this tunnel view in Yosemite, it was early morning, like 5 a.m. Um, you know, very dark fountains, very bright sky. So I just had to do an exposure blend for that. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of it. Like I don't like how it looks when I do it uh, particularly because um, <laughs> Lightroom does have an HDR feature built in, but it's really bad, like really bad. It's just, if you ask any photographer who uses Lightroom, uh, they'll tell you about it. Um, so I have to manually do it in Photoshop. Um, so I haven't finished the tunnel view edit yet, but the ones I've done before, I've been fairly happy with them, but you can see some artifacts from my uh, like improper uh, blending. Um, and I, I just try to get in one exposure, but I think it's definitely, it definitely works for a lot of people really well. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, they're all good points that you said. Um, so, I mean, it's totally valid. Um, it's like, it's your opinion, of course. Um, it definitely has its place, like I said. Um, and like I said, personally, for me, I use it quite a bit. Um, it's mainly for like types of landscapes. That's basically what I'm drawn to with HDR. Um, that's where I want to get all the 
highlights and shadows pretty even, um, but definitely not to a point where it looks really kind of boring and flat. Um, but uh, so yeah, lots of like long exposures like waterfalls or anytime there's a lot of high contrast and I didn't want to capture all that detail. Um, and I can think back to like lots of sunset images or sunrises and you get um, lots of bright sky as it's, you know, sunrising or setting in the sky. And then you get a lot of foreground detail that might be deep in shadow at the same time. Um, and I know it's like kind of like heresy, I guess, because like Ansel Adams would say, like, you should try and get all right in camera with one exposure. Um, but I'm just looking at like from a creative standpoint, because I'm just using the tools available. And so it's pretty incredible what these you know, DSLRs can really capture, um, even if it takes more than one frame to um, get that exposure right. Um, so I find it pretty invaluable um, for what I do. But um, like I said, it's like early on, like years ago, I, I definitely shirked it because I every time I thought of HDR or saw it, there's always like the very extreme <laughs> version of it where it's, everything's just really bright, mm -hmm. colorful. There's like everything's over sharpened and you can just clearly tell it's been over processed. And um, I, I think little... back then too, there was little good HDR. Like, it's definitely. definitely. Better. I feel like honestly in the Flickr days, like 15 years ago, I feel like that's when really HDR was at its worst. If you look back on those older images from like 2000, probably six, seven, and it's like, it's, I think with like the earliest digital cameras is people are just making these really crazy effects, which maybe that's their intentions. But like, if you want a realistic photograph, it just looks so goofy. Um, so uh, yeah, I feel like that was my like launch pad of just seeing that and being like, I don't like that. Um, but basically the big like change of the catalyst um, was when I bought um, Skylum, Skylum Aurora HDR. It's like one of their premier softwares and that automatically just you could throw any brackets onto it. And it compiles them all together pretty much automatically. It's, it's almost like magic, really. Um, and that kind of changed my tune a little bit. So I started bracketing lots more images, like I said, uh, mainly landscapes. But um, even doing some like macro flower stuff every once in a while, just, just for fun, just seeing how it looked. Or taking single exposures in between that, of course, too, you know, as a backup. But um, it was a lot of fun. So it really opened my, I guess, eyes to realistic HDR photography, which is possible. Um, it's just all in how you process and edit the photos that you take. Yeah, and it's you, you got to use it effectively in moderation. You, know, you want to have, you still want to have the balance of highlight and shadow. I think no matter how you get to the final image, you still want to have some shadows. You still want to have some highlights. Um, we all remember, like you said, that early two thousands or mid two thousands or like 2010s like that really washed out shadows and just really just it hurts your eyes and back then that's what sold though uh but yeah now it's it's really shifted and i think you know you said ansel adams would tell you always to get in one image but you know he never really had access to the hdr software so you know, who, who knows he might use it today um oh yeah he, he yeah. definitely if you if you know the history of ansel he he did not shoot the popular type of photography at the time. Like people used to do the, the painting like photography. Um, and he like pushed to do the more realistic kind. Um, so he was definitely, uh, he took the modern tools and modern ideas and really worked with them. So he might be a Nick Cage like photographer today. Yeah. That's a, that's a crazy thought right there. That's the hot take of the day, I think for this episode. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think what you're referring to with Ansel is that he did straight photography, 
which basically means just photographing things as you were seen, like found objects or just very like plainly placed, like basically anything in the landscape is unaltered or um, uninterrupted. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he was a pioneer of like the zone system and all that, um, which of course goes into oh, yes. his work. Yeah, and all, and that's that's a weird, it's interesting technical um, premise to learn about. I recommend anyone to like read up on it. Um, but um, and we're not going to get into detail here now. But yeah, just look it up on your own time. But um, basically, yeah, it's just neat to see how he exposed for things and how his eye basically was trained to see things and you know light and shadow, like you said. Just it's really neat to see all that. Um, but what what I meant by that was like, yeah, it's I think what he means is like he wants everything to be. Um, I can only really speak on his half, behalf for so much, but I think it's just that he wants everything to be nice in camera and not be overdone with effects. Because okay. I feel like the, yeah, it can be like we said with the bad HDR or just what we look back on as being kind of over the top. It's, it does look pretty embarrassing because it, it just screams HDR, which looks bad in itself. Like you want it to look natural most of the time. Um, and that's what I pretty much you know, try to aim for, I guess, with my own photography. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, one thing I want to mention with Ansel as well, um, you know, he had black and white and, you know, black and white photography, you've got a little bit more leeway to get it all in one shot, um, when it comes to dynamic range, cause you know, shadows, dark shadows look a lot better on black and white. I mean, a lot better. Like, yeah, that's want, true. You want a contrasty image in black and white. You don't want flat. I think, I think maybe, maybe the definition I need to look up to, you know, Return, retrace my steps, but I feel like HDR at first was like people's idea of it was that it was supposed to be without shadow and be very bright, um, you know, with because it was high dynamic range. But like dynamic range in of itself, it means like a nice interplay of light and shadow. It's not excluding one or the other. It's meant to be a nice cohesive look at the um, both both light and shadow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not exactly sure either, but that, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's not meant to be high. Only highlights or only shadow or something. Uh -huh. It's meant to, it's meant to be a nice cohesion of them, and that's pretty much what I achieve. Um, but you can make um, as many brackets as you want, really, in theory, with like an image. I mean, I guess you could do like twenty if you want. Yeah. That'd be kind of nuts. I and mean, pointless. astrophotographers <laughs> will do that. That's true. Yeah, I mean, like when I when I say I do a lot of it, I'm doing probably two, maybe three, but that's only if I just really have like a strong. Uh, foreground, midground, background that I need to capture all that detail because there's lots of hard light and shadow going on. Um, but most of the time, it's it's about as simple as, and I explain some of my videos, of course, and everything when I take landscape images, is that I usually just expose for the sky, and then that means metering for the sky, and then metering for the whatever, like the ground level, I guess, the foreground, the midground, uh, or somewhere in between that. And that's pretty much all I do. It's I keep it real simple, bare bones, but um, I like the results. Um, whereas if I took the shot with just one frame, I may, you know, clip out the highlights and it might be too bright and overexposed, or the shadows might be just way too dull and dark, or it just might look like a gross blob without any detail in there. So I feel like HDR really does have its place, at least for my photography. Um, I'd recommend, you know, anyone else that may be on the fence, you know, maybe just try it and see what happens. Yeah, so when you're bracketing, um, how many stops of difference do you like say you're doing three how many stops do you go between each one? Oh, good question um i think it's it just it, it depends of course it depends on the image and the lighting conditions and all the different um, variables and factors but i mean a good rule of thumb is maybe just a stop of light or more it depends um 
but like honestly i just kind of like the meter i'm not going to say the in-camera meter is always right but i do let that meter um, decide for me um, depending on what the exposure should be but i'd say like a stop or two of light you know at most um it just really depends like i said so depends on what you're faced with i guess yeah i feel like if you stay in that one to two stop range um, and if you blend correctly in your computer, you know, your HDR will look completely natural, like no, no signs of anything. Um, but I think back then, or back in those early days of HDR, people's sensors were so bad that you just really <laughs> had to do HDR and you had to underexpose by like four stops to get the sky and like over, over by two stops to get the foreground. And, you know, it was not good. But nowadays, sensors are so good. Any of them really like in the past like five years or so you can you can get it all probably any scene in three shots i would say that's definitely true yeah i feel like also just the public's perception of hdr is like improved i guess you could say or oh, like yeah. they just realized that the, the fake look like it was almost like a trend that the, we wrote in is like wasn't something that was going to last long so now we're just like eh, it's not really for us you know that the hotel that real estate photograph yeah. looks really uh, kind of lame. It's, it's a little overdone, over overcooked, as I'll say. Yeah, I I feel like you know people might still be opposed to HDR, like a non photographer, but they don't know that it's HDR anymore. You know, it's gotten so good. Right. That's the thing. I guess I guess I will add on is like when I'm taking them is I usually do one of the exposures as like a base exposure. So that's at the on the exposure meter. That's usually at point zero, and um and then from there, like I said, it's like if I want more light. And I'll increase the exposure for the second bracket or any you know, succeeding brackets. Or if I want more shadow detail, um, I'll do less, of course. But usually I just do that like right at zero and just work from above or below it, um, or even both even, if I want to do like three or more brackets. And each bracket's just a single raw file, of course. Yeah, that's, that's good to follow the camera meter and then kind of go from there. Uh, mm. that's, that's how I do it, too, the few times I do it. Uh, Hopefully this one HDR I'm working on will turn out well. Uh, it's quite a stop difference. I think it's a two-stop difference. I did two frames because uh, I was able to get the mountain in one, all of the detail, and then the sky in another. Uh, but hopefully that comes out fairly natural. Yeah, I like to see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for it at least. But I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's. I feel like some images just beg for it to happen, or like I said, lighting conditions just really necessitate that type of photography but um i guess one little pro tip i will mention it's not really editing but like when you're shooting these uh, hdr images and you have like a set of brackets on your camera um is so maybe like take i've heard this tip from people but um take one image of like maybe like your hand in front of like facing in front of the camera lens um as like the book the bookends or the bookmarks to each set of brackets that way when you're editing them later on um it kind of it becomes a lot easier to differentiate between them yeah for sure um, it's a great idea, actually. I've, I've never really done that before. But. Quite frankly, I don't do it, but um, I probably <laughs> should because sometimes it does make it easier, I, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, it just I, depends. I feel like I would forget to do that in the field, but if I do remember, you know, it'll be great. <laughs> you're just out there taking the images. You're so excited. It's like, yeah, the least of my worries is like, I'll settle it up later, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> in post production. So yeah, did you have anything else to add there? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I'd just say, like for a final thing about HDR, you know, uh, get everything you think you need um, when you're out there. So I won't 
I barely do HDR, but what I will do is I'll take the same landscape picture at multiple different exposure levels, just so I have, I don't know, in case the base exposure looks really bad, in case there's a highlight somewhere that I hate, I can go down to the lower one and edit that one. Or I can go up to the higher one and edit that one. You know, just take the different exposure levels. Because it's a digital camera. You know, taking pictures doesn't cost you money um, in the long run as long as you delete them, the ones you don't want. Um, and you know, just kind of get everything you need to have the best image in post. You took the words right out of my mouth because I was about ready to say the exact same thing. It's like the, and I'll just echo it again. But yeah, the beauty of digital is that for um, you can't take as many as much as your memory card can hold, which is probably a lot, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, just get as much material as you need. That way, you're assured with like getting some kind of final outcome or final edit that you'll be happy with. Yeah, for sure. Just get. It's like a kind of like a. I was going to say painter, but I guess they get it all in one painting. But, you know, painters capture all the detail with all the colors. Um, sometimes they do multiple layers. And for photography, you need to do multiple layers, too. I'm not talking computer layers, but take multiple layers of the same image out of the field. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the camera reads it differently, and it needs sometimes it needs more than one image to really show it in you know, the light that it can't capture in one frame. And plus... Like I said earlier, it's like if I done one frame of like a certain image, like maybe a waterfall or sunset, it's gonna look real washed out more often than not. But if I get like at least two brackets, it's not a lot to do there. It's not a lot of post production work, but the, the results are quite you know dramatically different. It's much more vibrant, rich, colorful, and of course it comes down to how you edit, of course too. Uh, so you said you use the brackets for waterfalls sometimes. Um yeah, sometimes. Like um, I guess the more recent example is um I had one. Um, it's just this beautiful, like roadside waterfall. Um, and so, how do I explain this? It's like basically a big drop off. I think it's about 40 feet. So it's a pretty massive one. Um, and I, I went on this rainy, cloudy kind of day. It's near evening. So the lighting is kind of fading pretty fast. Um, but it's it's pretty deep in shadow um, where I'm at, you know, just down this kind of like recessed, recessed cave almost. Um, it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, pretty surreal actually. But um, now I'm thinking about it again. But um, so I had to point my camera straight up with like a 24 millimeter uh, focal length and um, I had to it pretty much at an angle it wasn't like straight up but I mean like there's tons of sky that had to be there because I couldn't really exclude or crop that out um, without you know cropping out the waterfall of course too as I was coming off the ledge um, above me um, but yeah so that was one instance where I'm like I have to bracket this or else it's just gonna be a white like overexposed mess of uh, the sky even if it was cloudy but I actually wanted to retain the clouds in there to show that was more like an overcast kind of day because there was lots of detail in the clouds, of course, too, um, being all dark and everything. Yeah, the, that sky example is definitely crucial because you don't want to have that horrible, horrible light sky. You know? it's, <laughs> it's so and I did, I did, yeah, I did try it with the one exposure, and it's it, like I said, it's just terrible. Like it's overexposed, it's underexposed, it's washed out, there's no color. Um, and the basically, what I'm getting at is some bracketed images. Uh, the results of those turned out a lot better, I think, because it was just a high contrast scene. Because I mean, you have this bright sky, even though be it it's cloudy, but I mean, like you're pointing the camera straight up at it, it's going to be really bright. And then, like I said, the waterfall is, you know, set against the uh, background rock and everything was like very, very shattered. So yeah, lots of dynamic range there, and I had to capture it. Pretty much needed to capture it with an HDR perspective or uh, mm -hmm. frame of mind, really. Yeah. I mean, I think the only other thing you could do 
uh, would be grads and Ds. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to mess around with those. Uh, yeah, you know, in the field, I was thinking, I, I wish I had one right about now. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, maybe that's an idea. But like, I just couldn't imagine going to that same waterfall when it's like a sunny day. Oh, it's probably yeah. like impossible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe someday, but not today. <laughs> I, I, it was uh, so crushing. I, I remember in the fall, um, I went to, uh, I went to a waterfall, and it was only I was only going to be there for about an hour because it was on a road trip. Um, and it was a bright, sunny day. And, you know, I got some decent shots, but I just knew how much better it could have been on a cloudy day. Um, yeah, that's, fall color that's had popped, and, you know, it was a waterfall. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's the worst when you don't only have, like, one day, and it's, like, crunch time. And it's, like, just a sunny day. Uh, you, it's bringing up some bad memories there. It's worst. Yep. And that's, that's it's all about, you know, get up early or go out on that cloudy day. Uh, or stay up late, you know, shoot those long hours or kind of the more golden hours until sunset, um, and even the blue hour afterwards. You just kind of take advantage of that softer light, um, and you'll find yourself doing less HDR, or if you still do HDR, then, um, you know, less extreme HDR. Yeah, definitely. It's it's not exempt from any time of day or any anything really lighting conditions weather like it's it's a fun thing to try out um even on subject matter doesn't matter it could be whatever you want really i mean i don't know you could probably even bracket a bird or something i don't know or yeah i don't know maybe if it's yeah. just standing still or perched on a branch but um like i said it, it's fun and i never thought of bracketing a bird i mean that i think it would work you just have to make sure they're in the exact same position like they can't move at all yeah, very stellar. Also, introduces ghosting into the image. That's a yeah. whole other discussion. We could have a whole ghosting episode. <laughs> Maybe near Halloween or something. <laughs> yeah, good idea. I, I still remember photography I a, locations. <laughs> I did an exposure. This is one of my other exposure blends I've done. Uh, I don't know why I did it on this image because I, I definitely could have gotten it in one shot, but it was a, a group of sunflowers, and I wanted to get the stems. Um, have a good exposure as well as the, mm -hmm. the bright highlights on the flowers um, and I it was windy day and I just got horrible ghosting I've never seen worse ghosting <laughs> I auto aligned it and everything but it, it was still unusable I just trashed it like it was it's not good that's the worst you know stoked to edit it and it's like these are all terrible dude yeah I've, I've been there too many times too and it's even with same with like chromatic aberration i'm like there's been some oh. hairy incidents like i'm like stoked to edit it and i'm like these are all terrible like, I, I can't post i can't print this it's just awful oh. i do have a solution to um to chromatic aberration though um I actually use this on a recent image. Uh, you actually, so most editing softwares will have a built-in remove chromatic aberration thing, mm -hmm. uh, but I find it doesn't do anything, really. Like, or at least yeah. in Lightroom, it does like nothing. Honestly, me too, yeah, me too. Uh, so if you take a, a green brush, you know, give it a green hue, and then paint over the purple areas, if you find the right green, uh, your chromatic aberration just disappears. Hmm. Interesting. I never, never thought about that. Do you know the hex code of the green color you're referring to? Or is it like no, different I'm, each time? I'm not that technical. I just oh, use man. a different one every time. I, if I you, should, find that, if you could find that out, <laughs> I will. you would save us all 
many uh, hours of just. Well, mess. see, that's the thing though. Different <laughs> exposure levels make different levels of purple, so the green works differently. True. Yeah. Different color intensity, uh, right? Man, I was gonna say I thought you had like the, the secret, you know, the holy grail. No, but color. I mean, a lot of photographers <laughs> don't even think about doing the green brush, and it, it works. It's it's good. Yeah, I have to try that now. Actually, yeah, the most idea. most not um when the podcast comes out next week, it's not the most recent image, but the most recent image I post on Instagram, it's a shot of redwoods kind of looking up at a very bright sky. Um, and that was, had horrible chromatic aberration in the leaves. And I used the Ugh. green brush te technique and it all got taken away. So. Oh, wow. Shoot. That's why I'm doing this episode. Uh, Learning tricks of the trade here. Yeah. I really like that. Neat. Um, all right. So but, the next one we got but, here is, Dodging and burning, and this has been around uh, since pretty much the Ansel Adams days. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, it's evolved it. a lot. So, how, how do you use it, right? Uh, very, very conservatively, um, very sparingly. Um, it, it's a pretty powerful tool, like we've mentioned with a lot of these are, because um, you can, you know, vary the intensity of it when you use it. Um, and I find that like a little is enough with it. So I use it a lot with like wildlife, um, just anything with eyes, basically. So like a bird or a mammal um, or a deer, I don't know, anything. Um, I'll use like a small pop of highlight, brightened color or uh, bright light onto the eye, which you know, just brings a little bit more detail and more, I guess you could say, attraction to the eye so that, you know, prospective viewers in the image can look at that first and see it you know, a lot more clearly. Um, but other than that, I mean, you can use dodging and burning for pretty much anything you can add your own special like you know brush drawn vignette around your image and you know, can exclude or include certain parts to be brighter or darker um i found myself before just you know just as really like an experiment just messing around with it um on like a landscape image and uh just taking out different parts putting putting parts of the image into like deeper shadow and uh, brightening up parts that i want people to really view or really see you know much more quickly um, but yeah, I mean, dodging and burning is basically just brightening or darkening parts of the image using a brush tool. Um, and obviously, this we're talking about digital, of course, as we are with the whole episode. But um, yeah, I, I use it quite a bit. Um, but like I said, it's just very sparingly or very carefully, I'll guess. I'm, I'll add. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time. Like, I'll use dodging and burning on every, almost every image. But like, I have a hard time kind of seeing what the audience will see with the dodging and burning like i feel like i just do it as more of a local exposure um like adjustment versus like an artistic tool does that make sense yeah yeah um i guess one thing i could mention maybe is like take your image like when you're done with it and then just like zoom it all the way out to like a thumbnail and then look at it and see like how much of that dodge and burn or any tool for that matter um how much of that is really like obvious or affecting the image maybe perhaps in a negative way or just like a way you simply wouldn't like it um, and then just adjust it from there so maybe that's something to consider like i know a lot of people it's like we'll say bad dodging and burning where it's very obvious um like they have a bird perched on a tree and you just take the fattest brush of the uh, you know the dodging and just make it this real bright but it introduces this very um, ghostly kind of halo effect to the subject if you're not very precise with it um, so that's one example and like if you take out the thumbnail it looks like there's like some heavenly glow around the bird which definitely looks kind of unnatural in most cases oh yeah definitely that, that's the that halos i was talking about earlier um, <laughs> yeah. I, I struggled that 
with that a lot in the beginning. Um, I guarantee if you look back at some of my older images, it's there. Uh, it, it's really challenging. You got to be precise with it. And you got to take your time. Uh, most dodging and burning um, platforms will have like an eraser tool. So go back with that eraser and take it along the edge. Make sure you, you feather it too. Make sure you have it all blend well. I think most tools, uh, for, um, excuse me, most software for dodging and burning that has it um, can allow you to value or the intensity or the hardness of it, um, which is just valuable. So I, I honestly, I think, I know with my software, it starts out at 50% hardness, uh, which basically means like the harshness of it and the brightness, of course, or the darkening, uh, whichever you choose. Um, but I usually dial it down to like under 25 and just, you know, one or two clicks, that's all it takes. Um, so very subtle, you know, kind of enlivening, I guess, of the light or the shadow detail. So nothing too extreme there. Yeah, you, you definitely want to use it in moderation. Um, and if you get a good enough exposure in your camera, you'll never need to do a massive dodge and burn. Um, unless oh, yeah. you're uh, darkening a sky a bit. But sometimes you can do a pretty extreme one there. But besides that, yeah, you want to use it. I've tried, I've tried to like save it like an overexposed sky by darkening it. But like the way, I don't know how to describe how it looks, but it just looks very unnatural and quite frankly terrible. Um, but yeah, this is like a tool that I'll just say is like merely an addition or it should be only an addition to your image. And like I said, just to add a nice like look to it. But it should be able, it really isn't, you know, be able to be like save your image unnecessarily. Yeah, I, I don't think it ever necessarily saved one of mine. It's only like supposed to add supplemental, say, that's the word. But um, yeah, yeah that, it's, that's a, nice, a it's a nice tool. Yeah. yeah, supplement. A lot of these are really, they're not meant to like save images, but only further improve them um, if you can't on their own. So I'll, um, once again, like I, I use this for landscapes, but I also use it for wildlife. Um, Cause especially if you're shooting on more of a sunny day, if you've got a bird, sometimes there's some really bad shadows on that bird and dodging burning can clean that right up. Um, mm -hmm. I find it really helpful. Or if I want to bring out, I'll, I'll burn the eye or is it burn is lighting, correct? I always confuse it. You know, I don't know. I think I said both so far. Okay. Well, I, I'll uh, either dodge or burn the eye, um, like I mentioned earlier, to get that highlight more prominent. Um, and that gives yeah. the viewer a direct, better connection to the bird because they can see that eye in more clear detail. More detail in the eye. It's not like just a black, you know, gapeless void, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so at least like a catch light or something in there, too, hopefully. But, but yeah, it's yeah. a good tool. It's a good tool to use. Um, Next one would be composites, which it kind of goes hand in hand with HDR and layers and masking, uh, ones we already talked about. But um, do you ever do any like over the top composites? Like, I don't know, put a tree in front of the landscape where it wouldn't be otherwise? No, I've never done a composite um, ever. And I think there is a place for composite art in the photography community, of course, but I think you should say that it's a composite. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, don't be misleading. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the slow photography movement, but I definitely prescribe to that kind of thinking. Um, <laughs> trying to get it, like, they're not anti, like, exposure blend necessarily, but they're definitely very anti-composite. Not, they're not against people who composite, but, you know, just trying to promote kind of the more old-fashioned style of photography. Um, right. And, yeah, I just never felt the need to composite. I just 
I don't like how it looks. You know, when you put something in from another scene, uh, you have to change how the light interacts with your scene as well. Like if you put in a sky, if you put in a tree, you have to put in shadows and stuff. And it's just too much work for me. And I just never have felt the need. What about you? Um, well, before I answer, I, I feel like it's like a lot of photo contests I've noticed. They, they either outright like outlaw, I guess, deposits, or you have to implicitly state, like you're saying, that's a digital illustration or a composite. Um, so it really just depends. But um, I guess my opinions on them is that they are more of just like a creative experiment or, you know, expression where it's it's meant to be just for fun. Um, like I've seen some people just go off the walls with just just really goofy effects. Like, you know, I superimpose these two images together and it's clearly fake. Like you, you can tell, like you can't get a bright, you know, city and then have a Milky Way shot behind it. Um, you know, I don't want to call anyone out, but we'll call him Peter Lick. But um, <laughs> he he does like lots of composites. Um, and his image is beautiful. Does he? Because I've I've heard from some people he does, from some people he doesn't. Well, some are like outright. I have to think they have to be like physically cannot happen. Um, or just they it's just clearly shown yeah, to be. I know there's you know, there's that there's that one with the moon that's definitely not real. I but, feel like a lot, yeah, a lot of moon shots are composites uh, from people. I think seen, a, but, uh, a great example of a composite guy is Mads Peter Iserson. Yeah, that's player. true. He I is think so, yeah, very yeah. composite-y. Um, and he doesn't always say it, which is a little bit, you know... If Unethical. He, yeah. <laughs> um, that could be another podcast even, but... Um, you know, <laughs> Photography ethics. He, obviously it works i mean that's definitely the instagram style i think you know that that gets the most likes so. or you know it's just true you know if it's his true passion too you know good for him but you know. i guess i guess what this entire like conversation boils down to is like do you want to be a like an editing photographer or an artist um and a lot of people do like the artist thing where they'll do lots of composites or just very heavy edits and it's meant to be achieving some kind of creative vision or do you want to be like a realistic photographer and um almost like hold back and you know keep everything looking as natural as possible um so that's really something to consider i think yeah definitely like when i'm out in the field and i think about composite photographers i just i try to get in their shoes and i, I think like how do they get fulfillment from us going out in the field because you're just getting <laughs> one small element like when you're capturing a scene you know, you're getting all the elements like i don't I just don't understand it personally. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, like I said, there's no wrong way with it. Like, you know, you could be one or the other. And it's not like we're not trying to make like division here. And, you know, you have to choose a side, of course. But um, I mean, like I'm in the kind of similar boat as you, Henry. It's like with composites, I don't really do them. But like I appreciate some of the kind of interesting results that people do with them. Because um, it is a neat tool to experiment with. Um, just see what you can come up with. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Uh, I should try it sometimes. You know, it, it could be cool. Uh, but, you know, maybe I'll start a second account or something, or I don't know, post them somewhere. I don't know. Who knows? But maybe sometime I'll try that. Might be a good YouTube video. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, how to make composites. Uh, maybe if I, yeah, both of us do it, we'll warm up to it more than too. Uh-huh. All right. So, uh, HSL and uh, color hue saturation oh. luminance. So, what do you think? I use all of these a lot. Um, I'm not like <laughs> I don't drag the sliders all the way. Um, usually, it's only about ten to twenty percent at most. Um, 
luminance and hue I don't use as much. Um, I'll use hue a lot for sunsets if I want to make it a little bit more pink. Uh, I don't know if that's considered unethical, but it's what I do. So, you know, I guess, you know, it's not a massive change in color. Like, I don't make it, like, green when the, uh, <laughs> the sunset is just, like, red or something. I just make it a little bit more how I see the sunset, I guess. Because um, right. sometimes, even with your camera color profiles, you know, the colors you get may not be completely accurate. Um, so that hue is very valuable. Um, luminance is definitely my least used one. Um, I find if you go too far on it, it just looks really unnatural. Um, you cannot push it as far as the saturation and hue slider slip for sure. Uh, have you experienced that? Um, well, I guess to contrast you a little bit, I mainly use the S, the, the saturation that is. Um, mainly just to add a little addition of color or if I'm finding like maybe the yellows in the image or certain parts of the image are lacking, then I'll just do like, because it's basically like a global slider it is. Um, and so it is just the entire saturation if you let it or hue and limits, of course. But um, yeah, I mainly use that to just put a little bit more color in there if I want some specific colors to just pop more. Um, like maybe if I have like a red barn image, like a giant landscape and there's green grass and everything, but I want the focus to be on the barn, of course, um, since that is the subject, then I'll, you know, just bump up that red a little bit more. But yeah, it's never anything extreme, like you were saying, where I just, I, I wouldn't do that either. You know, just bump it up to 100% or negative 100, so. Yeah. Uh, and I use that saturation um, HSL a lot, really. Um, uh, I mentioned this last editing episode, um, but with the waterfalls, I don't like to get all the saturation in that blue water. I like the white look. Um, so I'll, I'll keep the blue as it is or even turn it down a bit and adjust the other colors. So it really allows for that nice, precise editing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's meant to be something meant to be like taken lightly because it like it can, especially with the hue, is just adjust the entire image. And it might look kind of crazy unless that's what you're after. But um, it's definitely a powerful tool uh -huh. um, and one to use wisely, I will say. Yeah, and like, once again, like if you push it too far, it can get really bad. Like you can get that banding in the sky where you like see the oh, edge yeah. of the color. Um, and I've definitely, my early days, you know, you could see some banding, you know, <laughs> over editing. It was a problem. We don't talk about that. <laughs> no. uh, but actually, it's been interesting recently. Um, I've kind of found myself going a little more saturated. Like I, I had kind of a neutral phase for a while, but I'm kind of back yeah. in the color. Like I don't go too crazy, but. Also, I also like to do some substantial color editing. Is it is it just because there's some more color out in nature, like versus winter? Is that why? No, I honestly think it's it's. I really just like kind of had a mind shift, mindset shift. I think I just like you know it's kind of I've noticed um, over the past couple months it's just gotten more saturated. Even you know back in this year's winter stuff, it was definitely more saturated than the hmm. last year's winter stuff. That's interesting. How, yeah, how you notice that, or yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. Maybe, maybe it's like the work you're viewing, because um, there's a lot of like photographers I've met, and like they have, they just like nail the high saturation look, like the midday light, but it's HDR and it's very colorful and vibrant, and that's just that's their style, of course, and that's you know I can respect that. But um, maybe it's have it's something you noticed recently, or just have you known it all along? Uh, it's been very recently. Um... I just kind of so it's know, just, time just to scrolling see down it, my kind feed of. and I kind of see how I'm becoming saturated. And you you might be right. It might be with the seasons as well. I think that's definitely an element to it. 
I know after like four months of winter, it just like oh, yeah. you get stoked and yeah, you just see all the color again. You just want to yeah. go crazy with the edits. I mean, when you saturate yeah. in winter, all you'll get is blue. Really, I mean, blue and orange. That's pretty much it. And brown, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but um, so yeah, HSL is a fun one. It's it's a neat one to mess around with. Probably one of the first one tools I used, honestly, when I started editing. Yeah, that's the, actually the first editing tool I used. Um, my first photo ever taken on an actual camera was a little plant I put on my uh, windowsill, and I changed the color from blue to green. I thought it was the coolest photographer <laughs> in the world. And I used the HSL tab, so yeah. <laughs> You heard here, folks. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I will say it's like it's it's fun to mess around with these like sliders and just see what happens. But um, yeah, I mean, it just depends on your 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 final output and what you really want to achieve, of course. But they're fun to mess around with. That's for sure, especially yep. the cute one. All right. All right, so we're gonna go through these last two um, real quick. But uh, focus yeah. stacking. So yes. um, I I done this on That's and off. Right. <laughs> it's all good. You can go first, but um. Okay. Uh, I've done focus stacking a decent amount, um, but yeah, Henry, go ahead. Have you done I am a heavy focus stacker, definitely. Um, okay. I'd say all of my, pretty much all my wide-angle landscapes, so telephoto, I don't need it really because your depth of field expands as your subject is further and further away. Uh, but for wide-angle, probably 70% is focus stacked. Um, and I, I really like it how it how it works for me. Um, usually it's two. I find that two is enough depth of field. So I'll shoot at f8, which is um, on my lenses is the sharpest point, um, and then I'll I'll focus stack it. I, I really like the results. Okay, it, it's neat how you do it with uh, wide angle landscapes. I really don't think about it. Like that's that's really much of like an afterthought. But um, I know for me it's like I really only focus stack when it's macro. Ah. A wildflower or something. Yeah, it's pretty much the only time I really do it. Um, I don't. I don't really consider it for landscapes. I just I shoot with a very small aperture and I just let that handle it. But I really don't focus back them. So yeah, that's yeah, pretty. It's I, pretty I, interesting I, how we do it differently. I'm kind of scared to do macro focus stacking. I don't know why. Like I'm not scared, but like I'm just. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you do it on a tripod. And it helps uh -huh. a lot. So maybe, maybe that that's the one thing that you're. Yeah. Maybe stopping you from doing it. Maybe. But yeah, but you should try the wide angle focus stacking. It it, it works well. Yeah, I have to try it, especially with like the hyperfocal distance and all that stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah, if you get a really close foreground object, I mean, focus stacking is really the only way to go, honestly. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It's a challenge finding that foreground element though, the really good compelling image out of like the landscape. Oh yeah. It's like half the battle, you know, um, to provide depth and all that. I'm like, man, that separates uh -huh. you from like the amateur shots to the the better quality, I guess. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. All so, right. Uh, so for our final one here, we got presets. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> now they're, they're uh, in short, they're basically just a set of any of these tools, really, but um, at least uh, the slider ones, especially. But um, presets are basically just a set of predefined um, editing uh, sliders and tools. And they're all set to a proper way. So like presets are basically like a, people sell them, I guess, for some money and stuff, but you can get free presets, of course. Um, and there's different types of ones like LUTs, L-U-Ts, um, and they all fill basically photo editing, um, but they're meant to speed up and optimize your workflow, of course. 
Um, but I, I personally don't use them. Um, I probably should just because it will save me time. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of photographers make them too. So, do you use presets, Henry? Uh, no, I have never used a preset, and I I will never use a preset. Um, Jeez, yikes! <laughs> it's not like some like I I don't care if other people use presets. You know, if it, it works for you, it works for you. Um, but yeah, although I do similar edits to every image. I still, there's still so much difference. I shoot, you know, shoot different subjects, uh, you know, birds, wildlife, larger mammals, uh, landscapes, macro. Yeah, I just don't, I, the, the variety of edits and different times of light I shoot in and, and just different conditions, it's just presets don't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, in my mind, like one preset or a certain preset, like a, I don't know, sunny day preset, like it doesn't fit it. Like each image, like you're saying, has its own needs to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, even if I only spend two minutes total on each image I edit, I still want to give it that time of day. Like it's, you know, particular like attention to what might be different and unique about the image, like you said. And, you know, I just feel like a preset is like a quick, I don't, dare I say cheap way to like photo editing because it just makes, oh, yeah, it, it does optimize it and it, it could look more consistent on maybe like, maybe like your Instagram feed or something or in a portfolio. But like, for me, it's just like each image begs a different style. And I'm just not set. I'm not wired to make like an image or excuse me, like a whole body of work, like look the exact same or, you know, I don't know. The cohesion yeah, is nice. I'm on the but same like, page there. Yeah. yeah. It's just not, it's not in my DNA to do that. Like oh. edit, I guess that way. When I'm making an image, I want that to be, I want that image to stand alone just as well as it works my other images. So, I'm not worried about right. how it'll look in my Instagram grid or how it'll look in my portfolio. Oh, definitely. I'm just trying to work yeah. on the individual image. And I mean, like we're, we're downplaying maybe a little bit about presets because we both don't use them, but like I'd recommend, you know, maybe try them and see, get some uh-huh. free ones to see how you like them. Um, and you may use them every once in a while and maybe like certain, like your flower shots, you like it a certain way already. So like this preset fulfills your needs or uh, maybe even make your own. Uh, uh-huh. I've never done that, but. I imagine it's not too hard, I imagine. So. Yeah, I feel like for nature photography, it's probably not the best place for presets, really. Like, where it really comes mm-hmm. in handy is, like, weddings or something where everything Portraits. is really the same. Yeah, you just drop it in, and then you got to do a quick export to your clients or, like, your sports photographer. You instantly got to get in the newspaper or something. You know, just mm-hmm. quickly send it out, put that preset on, and there you go. But and that, nature, that, uh... when you have more time, you know. Yeah. yeah that's a great point because yeah i mean when you're doing like a portrait like a body of like a portfolio for a client and like you want everything to look consistent usually so yeah that's a really uh-huh. good point but on uh, nature it's like it it depends like it could be the same way of course but um you know i feel like everyone must be more kind of like meticulous with their images of course mm-hmm. yeah so i, th- I think but, that's uh, pretty much it for editing if you got anything else to add um no um i guess any listeners if you have any other comments about other tools you may use um, let us know and uh, we'll talk about them mm-hmm. in, you know later yeah. episodes maybe so and of uh, course we're, we're not trying to like insult anyone for using different techniques um oh yeah because you know He's... all all photography is valid really so if that's what works for you it's what works for you ultimately yeah definitely this this kind of like just educating a little bit in brief about each one um and then obviously giving our opinions on them but you know that's all they are is merely opinions because you know our photography is subjective so exactly yeah so well thanks so much for listening everyone yeah uh you got any announcements ryan 
Oh, uh, much caught me off guard. No, um, I don't think so. I mean, like I've just been doing more events now that we're opening up things and doing some more festivals and just uh, trunk art shows and uh, more more public outreach stuff. So getting my work out there, which has been great. Um, photography itself has been on the back burner for a couple of weeks now, which it's been nice to take a little break anyways and just focus on, you know, promotion and I guess the marketing side of it, the fun stuff. But <laughs> but um, other than that, um, what else at the moment? So how about you? Yeah, so uh, I've, I'm like the complete opposite uh, right now at the moment. Uh, I've been doing a lot of shooting, uh, kind of coming down from that. But last week I was in California, so I, I shot a lot of images, like, I think it's about eighty gigabytes of photos. So, I'm uh I'm slowly but surely making my way through those images. Um, I'm I'm really happy with them, both the landscapes and the wildlife. Um, I was telling Ryan earlier, uh, I've got some rare birds that I've never well not rare but like birds that I'll never see in my part of the country uh, in California. Um, I've got some great landscapes. Um, so. Just keep an eye out for that on my Instagram. Um, I am doing daily posts, um, at least for the summer, just because of the amount of content I have. I, I want to get these photos out, and daily posts is honestly going to be the way to do it. So um, I've already seen some positive effects of posting more, um, so I'm going to continue that. Um, one more thing here. I have I did start a TikTok, um, so that, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, just because I know a couple people that um, have really been successful on TikTok for nature photography. And I'm thinking maybe um, trying some in-the-field stuff through TikTok, you know, because it's kind of a shorter format. Um, I won't feel as pressured to film constantly since it's like that 15-second to one-minute uh, format. Um, so I'm going to try that out, and maybe that will go somewhere. So if you have a TikTok, uh, please consider leaving me a follow there. I don't, but um, if I can use your work on there, I will. <laughs> <laughs> You know, alert alert on your your profile. So it's cool that you're doing that though. Um, I'm just not really, I don't know. I'm not motivated to make one. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I'm, it, I'm very late to the party. Like very late. I should have started last summer, honestly. But you know, <laughs> better late than never. Yeah, maybe I will someday. Who knows? Anything's up for grabs nowadays. Yeah, if it doesn't get banned again, or it was banned for a while or something. So who knows? That's true. Yeah. Um, so I, I I was gonna do Instagram Reels, but. This is kind of funny. This is going back to the very beginning of the podcast. I still don't have Instagram Reels on my Instagram account to this day. <laughs> some of the OG listeners probably remember, but I, I don't have it. Episode one, yeah. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. yeah. You're complaining about that. I was like, I don't know. I have it right here. Uh, I've only made like four of those, and I don't know. I don't like editing on my phone like video. It's not quirky <laughs> yeah, to I me. I edited my first TikTok in on my computer and then exported it in like vertical format. I so much. <laughs> I'll start doing that then for reals, I guess. <laughs> that's that's great. Shit. I don't know. How right. Rylan, I don't know how Ryland does those daily reels. Great. He's he's killing it though. He's killing yeah. it, and they're actually they're really well done. I mean, uh -huh. yeah. he, he he's just a good guy though. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. thank you guys for watching. Well, yep. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for watching the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.